I was reading this, uh, this week uh, the response of our former president, George W. Bush, to September 11th. And uh, I found it really interesting. Because I, I, I remember someone remarking about his uh, words on uh, the commerce on that day. And I was 18 years old. I was in my third week of uh, uh, my undergraduate education at Olivet Nazarene University. And, and all I remember is that it felt like the world was ending. I don't know where you were at on September 11, 2001, but I, did it kind of feel like the world was ending to you? It felt like the world was ending where we were at. And being so close to Chicago, uh, the early returns. You remember that, Justin? I think we talked about this yesterday. Justin and I were in college at the same exact time, so we were together then when that was happening. Uh, and the rumor quickly circulated that Chicago was a targeted city. I, I think that proved to be untrue. But at the time, we all thought that Chicago was it. So me and my idiot friends went to Chicago the next night. I don't know why we did that. You've never seen a more deserted city in your life than uh, Chicago, downtown Chicago on September 12, 2001. It was empty. I mean, it was eerie. It was eerie how empty it was. Why we were there, unbeknownst to me. But I remember one of my friends remarking on the words that George W. Bush, our former president, had to say about the commerce. And so this week I went and uh, found that speech, read those words, and listened to them. You know, if we don't carve out place, Elizabeth, for us to mourn and to weep and to cry, and in some odd, weird way, to try to remind God of his covenant promise with us, I can guarantee you that our government will not carve out a place for us to weep or to cry or to mourn. Perhaps it was good leadership. But on the evening of September 11, 2001, our former president reminded us that government employees were returning to work that evening, the most critical ones. The very next morning, everyone would be back to work. And the very next sentence, you miss it if you blink. But our financial, I'm almost quoting him here, our financial institutions are going strong. I don't have any idea what financial institutions had to do with what happened on September 11, 2001. But he wanted us to know financial institutions are going strong. Business will be open tomorrow morning. Oh, boy. We just don't know how to cry, church. We just don't know how to mourn. We don't know how to take Sabbath rest. We don't know how to push the pause button on work. Because we'll be back tomorrow. If we can't mourn on September 12th, 2001, then we will never know how to mourn, ever know how to mourn. If we can't push the pause button on our consumerism economy on September 12th, 2001, to make room for us to cry, we'll never make room. And so, how does the church go about practicing faithful economics? Well, I say we adopt practices that are counterintuitive to the culture, and it's going to feel very weird to you. But when it's time to cry, we need to cry. 
And we need to learn to push the pause button. A shameless plug here. There's a Sunday school class coming in January about Sabbath practices. It will be taught by Pastor Megan Krebs and Nathan Miller. You should check it out. We don't know a thing about Sabbath practices, about how to push the pause button, how to rest, how to turn our weary hearts, our mournful positions to the Father, and to try to remind Him again, as if He needs to be reminded, what His covenant promises are for us. And so, this morning, if we may for a few minutes to push the pause button and to turn our attention to a God who we need desperately on the behalf of the families that we love and on behalf of the situations that we may find ourselves in but don't know even how to name. And so, with that, I ask you to turn your attention to Luke chapter 12. Last week, we talked about the joy of money, if there is any joy at all in money. It seems that things have turned into a rat race with money. There's never enough time to enjoy it. We just have to go get more of it. (laughs) There's not even time to mourn. Business will be open tomorrow morning. So... In chapter 12, Jesus, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching his disciples. I have just two verses out of here that I want to read. This week, we want to talk about the ethics of money. What is the behaviors of those that belong to Christ when it comes to the practice of money? What is our ethics? Hmm. Verse 14, or sorry, verse 15. Then Jesus said, Beware! Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured. By how much you own. Oh boy. There's just going to be something said inside this sanctuary. That is just absolutely opposite to everything else you hear. Someone will be murdered for it I'm sure. Let's skip on to verse 32. So don't be afraid Little flock. (laughs) For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And listen, little flock. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. It gives the Father great happiness to give you the keys to the entire kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) There's a young man. He's probably not young. By young, I think I meant to say short. There's a short man. (laughs) You don't have to be young to be short. 
You can be tall and be short. I mean, what? Oh, boy. You can be old and be, still be short. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know what his age was, but I do know his position. He was a tax collector that had accumulated great wealth over his time, probably by having a whole region of other uh, servants or other little tax collectors that worked for him, that went out and actually collected the tax, and then he got a bigger portion of it working for the governor. His name was Zacchaeus. He's hanging out in the town of Jericho. And just prior to Jesus walking into the city of Jericho is a blind beggar. It's a poor man. He's sitting outside the city walls. And he's proclaiming and crying out for the son of David to have mercy on him. At the sound of his name, Jesus stops in his tracks, arrested by someone with such great faith to connect this peasant Galilean to the royal line of the Messiah. He stops, turns. Who is saying my name? And the crowd rushes over to the blind beggar who's getting in the way of things to calm down, to stop distracting Jesus from the important work. You know, business is going on as usual. But the blind beggar who knows something is not right cannot help himself. He cries out yet again. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Arrested. Where is this voice coming from? Recognizing that not just anyone would know Jesus as the son of David. It would take someone with faith, perhaps someone with desperation, perhaps someone that has been shaken by their circumstances and has nothing else to cry out. And so the blind one who cannot see cries out yet again, Jesus, son of David. And Jesus comes and finds him. What may I help you with? Fighting through the crowd, trying to find the one whose voice, wrestling with those who's trying to stop the distraction. Jesus can't help it. Someone knows who he is. And so he gets right up to this guy. And this cord is driving me nuts today. Is it messed up up here? Is that what's the problem? Is that going to fix everything? All right, great. Oh, boy. Yeah, I know. I, you're sitting here watching me mess with it the whole time. And so, Jesus finds himself right in his personal space. What may I help you with? I want to see again. <laughs> and by faith, this man is healed. I can't explain it. I'm not sure anyone that was there could explain it. It's just Jesus said, son, your faith has made you well. You are healed. And he sees. Well, after Jesus is done with this great 
spectacle. I mean, just the amazement and awe that surrounds him all the way through Luke into Acts. Just amazement and awe around Jesus. What he's doing in public space, what he's doing in political space is just unbelievable. Unbeknownst to people. Never seen it before. And so, so much to do about what just happened and Jesus walks into the city gates and now he's in Jericho. And much like the blind man, this short man wants to see. But his stature does not allow him to see. And so he climbs a what? Ah, there's a couple of good Sunday school students in here. If you don't know this story, it's found in Luke chapter 19. And it is a sycamore tree that, Nic- that Nicodemus, ooh, I'm all messed up, that Zacchaeus, that little Zacchaeus, short little Zacchaeus, young or old, I don't know, but he climbs the sycamore tree so he can be like the blind man and see. He wants to see who has come to town. And people have said about this man, not only that he is the son of David, but that he eats with sinners and that he dines with tax collectors and that he spends his time with those that are on amongst the social outcast. And so someone who's been cut off from the perspective of normal life and someone who's been ostracized by the line of his work, and maybe, maybe rightfully so, because Zacchaeus has robbed from the poor to make himself wealthy, and so he's been cut off from the rest of society and blocked from view, and so he climbs the sycamore tree in order to see the one who've been told that he eats with people like Zacchaeus. He just wants to see him. And so he gets up to the top of this sappy sycamore tree. I have no idea if sycamore trees are sappy or not, but let's just say they are. He gets to the top of this sappy sycamore tree, and he looks down. And there's Jesus looking at him. And Jesus says, I believe Mark, Daddy says something like this. I think Jesus had woo in his top five. I think Jesus said, Who? I've been looking for you. Zacchaeus. What are you doing up there in that tree, man? I'm Jesus. I can still see you if you're short. That was supposed to be funny. It wasn't. Come down, come down from the sycamore tree. I, I want to eat with you. Our culture is different. Uh, I can't wait to have a meal with Kevin Brown, but our culture doesn't work like this. Right? Kevin, I'm coming to your house this afternoon. Uh, that would probably freak the Browns out. Like, why did you just invite yourself over? It'd be weird. It would look more like this. Kevin, good to see you. I want to have you over for dinner sometime. Jesus Inviting himself over to Zacchaeus was a great honor. I want us to pay attention to Luke 19, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. I remember a time, I've told you this story, so I don't have to elaborate. But do you remember me telling you the story about when I was in seminary and I was riddled with all sorts of confusion and I had made some bad choices and I went home to tell my parents about the bad choices that I made and I stood before the Lord of my house. His name is Phil Edwards. He felt a thousand feet tall in the moment. Huge, 
I was cowering underneath his authority as I told him about how dumb I had been away in Kansas City. And he lorded over me for three hours <laughs> and told me how bad of a person I was. He's right, I was bad. But at the end of the three hours, I stood before the Lord. What I thought was the Lord. And I watched his posture decidedly change. And he remember me telling the story? It's a true story. He wrapped his arms around me and he pulled me close. And under just the weight of everything that had been shared, he began to cry. And I was already crying. And he held me close and I could smell the cologne on his neck, the same cologne that my dad's been wearing for a really long time. And it would be weird unless it was you, right? So I apologize for how awkward this story may be. But he got his mouth right up to my ear, and he whispered, Son, it's going to be okay. (laughs) It's going to be okay. I stood before the Lord, and I was forgiven of my debt and of my guilt. I remember, I've told you this story before, but as I remember Zacchaeus this morning, it would just not be right if I didn't tell you again my testimony of the faith as I was shedding off all that which I didn't think I could believe in anymore. And I stood underneath the steam of a hot shower as the water poured over my head. And I remember just in that moment crying and confessing to whomever may hear me or be listening to me, whatever presence may be out in the universe that I just, I just don't think I can believe in the ways I've been taught to believe anymore. I just don't know if I can believe at all. And I remember, you can imagine, a person training to be a minister, what type of condition they would be in when they were giving up their faith. It wasn't a good condition. (laughs) I wondered what in the world I would do for a living, and if I'd amount to anything at all, if I'd even be good anymore. So I cried, and I wept in this Westport shower. And the presence of God met me in a way that It's hard for me to articulate other than I've stood before the Lord before. I've stood before the Lord of my home, the Lord of my childhood. I've stood before my father, my earthly father. I've stood before him before, scared to death that I would not be good enough, only to be found with love and embrace, forgiveness and grace. I've stood before your Lord. I've stood before our Lord before. I stood there in a hot shower as the water poured over my head, and I stood there guilty as an unbeliever, only to be found with peace and mercy. Zacchaeus, one who has robbed people, one who has, do you know what the urgery rate is in Missouri? That's the tax rate, not the tax rate, sorry. That's the interest rate that can be charged on the money that you borrow. Do you know what it is in Missouri? Most lenders, whatever it is, most lenders don't have to adhere to it. They're exempt. They're preempt on it under federal law. Meaning that most lenders, lenders that are close to us, can charge whatever that they want to charge. 
Do you know how our government has made most of its money? Not our government, sorry, our economy has made most of its money since the 1920s or 30s? All of this, excuse me, I wasn't, a good, I wasn't a good student of economics, so as I learned these lessons this week, all of this was news to me. News to me in like a real way, like I was coming to understand it. We've earned our money by charging interest on the money that we borrow and by driving up manufactured goods and the needs for consumerism. We've created ways to buy things and created cultures that tell us that we need to buy things. In fact, it broke my heart this week. Sarah, I was on the website of a local lender, and it broke my heart this week as I saw that one of the things advertised that you could borrow money for, and this is the way that this company is going to make their profit, is off you borrowing money, is for school supplies. It's right there on the front page of their website. Boy, and you know what else broke my heart? That they've hijacked a Christian holiday that celebrates that Jesus is Lord, even Lord over this broken economy, that they've hijacked a holiday and now advertise you can borrow money for Christmas. Oh, my goodness. I probably shouldn't speak too long on this because I know that there's people in this room that are going to be borrowing money for Christmas. My goodness. If there's not a place to come to proclaim that something is not right, then we'll have nowhere else to go because culture is not going to tell you that that's not right. They're going to tell you that business is open tomorrow morning for Christmas. (laughs) Zacchaeus represents the people that work for the lending company. Those that don't have any right to guard themselves because they've been exempt underneath federal law. That they can charge whatever they want to make as much money as they want. Zacchaeus represents the people that you're angry about right now. I have just introduced anger into the sermon. I am sorry. Only to attach it to someone to give them some sort of real life characteristic. Zacchaeus is a real person. And people don't like Zacchaeus, much like you don't like borrowing money for Christmas and having to pay it back. (laughs) People don't like Zacchaeus. But he stands before the Lord. I can see some of you with your Bibles open to Luke 19. Anybody care to tell us and the children that have joined us? What is Luke's response? Sorry, Zacchaeus' response when he stands before the Lord. Anybody? Say it again. Mm, keep reading there. It's a, it's a financial response. It's an economical response. What does he do? How, how much does he give? Up to four times more of restoration and giving. Half to the poor and giving back four times as much. See, I've stood before the Lord guilty as a sinner. And he transformed my heart. I've stood before the authority of my house before, worthy of being kicked out of it. But yet he extended grace to me. In these moments when we stand before the Father, 
and we come to know His character. Our heart is transformed and we come to see whom God is. He is not the source of greed, but He is the source of generosity. And to stand before the Lord, our hearts of greed could not go on anymore. To stand before the Lord, there would only be one response, one of generosity. To stand before the Lord, our blind nature of seeing things is transformed to being able to see in the ways and the heart of God. To have an encounter with Jesus is to be forever, forever changed. And so whether it is your hard, calloused heart towards your neighbor, you cannot stand before the presence of Jesus and not be led into a presence of grace and forgiveness. Or rather you are a lender, robbing people, making money off of money, and advertising holidays, making up the need for them in order to make more money. Good Lord, you cannot be in the presence of Jesus and not be changed to be people of generosity, which it gives me great hope for any lending company that would be within proximity of New Beginnings Church. That we would be transformed by being in the presence of Jesus. So friends, I don't have a big lengthy sermon other than what I've already preached. I have no huge long conclusion. I encourage you to read the Gospel of Luke. I encourage you to read the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Find out what God's economy is. Find out what God says about charging interest. Cliff Notes version is it's he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it, and Jesus commands that his followers will not charge interest. That's great news for any business that works underneath a church that owns it, that owns the space they lease from. That's great news for them. Why does it matter that a church might own a business? Because a church can't in any good, faithful way ever charge interest, ever charge interest. It's great news for any person looking for space in Lee Summit that might want to rent space from a church that happens to own a strip mall. That's why I'm very adamant that it's not some unknown quantity that owns Chipman Commons. It is Jesus Christ and his followers that own Chipman Commons because we cannot charge interest. We can't. I encourage you to read the Gospel of Luke, to read the first five books to find out the ethics of what it is to spend our money. But I can tell you that it is generosity and it is not greed. How do we become to be people of generosity? Well, it's why folks that own Shipman Commons gather every Sunday morning together under the presence of Jesus Christ is we will not be people of generosity unless we spend time in the presence of Jesus. Zacchaeus doesn't go to a Bible study and then realize he wants to be a real good person and give back fourfold. Zacchaeus has a direct encounter with Jesus. The blind man doesn't go to it. Nothing against the work of physical therapy. It's done wonders for me and doing wonders for people. Physical therapy is a great thing. The blind man does not go to a physical therapist to see again. The blind man goes to Jesus. 
we must be able to take to Jesus all that which is broken, all that which is wrong, all that which has been robbed by us, and present it to Jesus and in the presence of Christ, we will be transformed. We will be changed. We will respond in the same ways that Zacchaeus respond. We will be given eyesight the same way that the blind beggar from Jericho was given eyesight. To be in the presence of Jesus is the greatest hope your household has ever come across. And so this morning we gather under the Lordship of Christ and in the presence of Jesus. May our homes be changed. The be hearts of generosity. May you rule your pocketbooks in the same way that Christ rules your heart with great generosity. And this is not a plea for you to give to the church. No, 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 no. This is for you to give your heart to Jesus Christ and let Jesus do with your pocketbook whatever he decides he wants to do.